and welcome to By the Ghost Light. My name is Ryan. And my name is Cassie. And this will be a fond farewell because this is the last episode of this podcast. Ever. Ever. Thanks for listening. That was ominous. I don't want to leave us there. It's just the last episode for a little while. Just for a little while, yes. But if we crush people's hopes and dreams and then go, don't worry, we'll be back soon. That's better? That's fair. My my house is getting a long-term guest, so... Like 18 years or so. 18 years or so, so I'm going to be yeah. dealing with that. True, true. For the next little bit. Does the guest have a name? Or is it just He guest? does. He does have no, a name? No, he, he has a name. His name is Kai. Kai. That's good. Yeah. Is it short for Caius, or is it just Kai? It is short for Caius. It is short for Caius. There you go. Yeah. Well, uh, whenever we uh, get back to this, maybe maybe uh, Kai will make an on mic, out of body. Appearance. He he might he might make an on mic. He's we got to start building those theater opinions early. Exactly. Like uh, I know that little Kai would probably love knowing that there's a new Jason Robert Brown coming. I mean, his his mother loves knowing that there's a new Jason Robert Brown coming. There you go. The apple does not fall far from the tree. Exactly. Which is an apt analogy. We're talking about an apple because this is going to be called Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Based off of John Brent's, uh, sorry, based off of John Brent's, I don't know if I'm saying that right, his best-selling mm-hmm. book. It will make its world premiere at Chicago's Goodman Theater next summer, scheduled to begin June 25th, 2024, which does not seem like a real year, but here we are. Yeah. So I'm I'm just like reading through this article and listening to Jason Robert Brown talk about it. And he's got a great quote here that I love. Uh, when I'm deciding to start a new show, the two most important questions I ask myself are one, does it sing? Which is such an important question if you're thinking about writing a musical. It sure is. Can you make the singing make sense? Yes, it's got to make sense. It's got to fit tonally. It has to move the plot forward. It has to help tell the story. Otherwise, it's just extra music. Right. And the second half is, do I get to work with fun people? Which This is also true. Um, I did not know this was... um, So the book was a Pulitzer Prize finalist, and then it was adapted by Clint Eastwood into a film of the same name. It is a murder trial and retrial in Savannah, Georgia. Um, So uh, Jason Robert Brown really likes murders, huh? There's a lot of emotional mileage in those stories, I think. Mm-hmm. So I can see it. We'll see. More to come there. But uh, yeah, new Jason Robert Brown is coming. It is coming. Uh, what is not coming is the end of any of these strikes because no, we are nowhere close. And I heard, um, I don't even remember which actor on the picket line it was, um, actually, I think it was Seth Rogen, of all people, actually said a couple of, like, really intelligent things about Yeah, this. I saw that interview, too. Yeah, yeah. where they, he was asked how long he thought the strike would go on, and he said that he doesn't even think it's about the actors being on the same page or, you know, uh, the negotiations happening or it being good faith or bad faith, but that basically because all of these um, producing companies are so cutthroat in the streaming wars against each other, like all of these producing companies can't get on the same page to then bring something to the actors and the writers, which is, you know, kind of a problem. 
It is. And I think that that means some uh, one of these producing companies is going to have to be the first one. Mm -hmm. Like they're going to have to say, I want to get back to work. I don't care about matching with the other production companies. I'm going to come out with a deal and take it to the unions. And it's not the same in the slightest, like on on the scale, it's not. But we did see that Dropout TV is coming Mm -hmm. back. They're going to start shooting. Um, They are not uh, on the list of struck organizations and they are working with um, the, all of the respective union reps. And uh, while we don't, while we don't know all of the details, it sounds like they are making sure that they are meeting what their, their actors and writers are trying to get. Um, They've got, so, um, so that's exciting that there's some things coming, right? But, uh, and, and maybe some movement, but we remain in a standstill. We do. And it, I get this. I think it's a sad commentary on the world. But I think the smaller studios like Dropout are way more understanding mm-hmm. of the situation and willing to like stand up and, and be part of the solution than the big ones are. Because the big corporations don't care. They don't care. And there's not they've a human. Lost the they, human they've lost aspect. the human element to it. Yeah. Because when the when the head producer of the show is also possibly a writer of it and is also, but also works with the talent and sees people every day and isn't just locked away in their stainless steel tower somewhere. It's very different. Yeah. It's very, very, very different. So yeah, it's uh, it's dragging on. They've already rescheduled the Emmys for 2024. Like, yeah, rescheduled them for January. Yeah. They said, we're not seeing this come to an end anytime soon. It can happen in January. We'll see if it happens. Yep. We sure will. The licensing firm Concord Theatricals has announced that six teen edition is now available for school productions in the United States. And you know why that's weird, Ryan? Six is short. Well, yes. But do you know why it's weird that they've released rights for high schools because rights for the main show aren't out yet because this is still playing on broadway sure is, and it's still playing in two national tours sure is and that's a weird flex it is very strange um i am interested to know when the earliest time you can schedule rights is. So for those that may be listening and maybe don't know, so all of these uh, rights companies that hold the rights to these different musicals and then the, or the teen versions or the junior versions, um, you have to apply for the license and you're not guaranteed to get it. Um, you know, um, you're, you're, it, it, it is rare to get turned down, um, especially for an older show or a junior or a teen show. Um, but when you have a show like Six that is currently still on tour, the idea is that they wouldn't want to have a uh, lower quality high school show happen around the same time and area that the tour is going through. Because the idea is that they would lose ticket sales. Which may be true, maybe not. We don't really know in 2023, but that's that's the thought process behind it so i'm wondering how far out they can you can get rights for it maybe you can't get it till 2024 maybe one of the tours ends soon i honestly don't know i don't either i was listening to brian the business analyst on tiktok talk about it and be befuddled Mm -hmm. and he he raised those good points 
so I don't know. I'm not sure. And, and I'm honestly, I haven't fully formed an opinion beyond that's odd. That's unusual. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of intrigued to see if, if it impacts the Broadway production at all or the tours at all. And I'm interested to see if other shows follow suit. I think there's something to be said about this move for creating greater accessibility, which we have talked about on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Because anytime you release the rights to local regional theaters in any form, you're creating greater accessibility to your show. Yes, without question. Tickets are cheaper. More theaters can do it. 16 edition does feel different, though, than um, being able to do Frozen Junior while Frozen's still out there. Well, like, because you could do Frozen Junior while Frozen was still on Broadway. You see this pop up every now and then, but it does seem a little a little strange. You know, It it's, does. It, it's not strange for them to know the six tour is ending in six months and they want to get their ducks in a row and then regional theaters can start performing six in a year like that's one thing but this this seems a little too on top of each other yeah this is the time of year though when a lot of high school directors are figuring out what their shows are going to be for the next season Mm -hmm. which i've never understood like I well because I have to do it for the middle school because of like the fiscal year um it just kind of falls for that but every other high school that I've ever been with or worked at with or for has been selecting their show trying to select their show before the end of the previous school year so that they can announce it and let everybody know and get people excited exactly yeah so yeah I don't know there's a lot about this that doesn't make a lot of sense to me we'll see what happens I do think wonder if it raises any more of a conversation um that we've seen going around tiktok the last i don't know week or two about um broadway just having a steady cam seat mm-hmm. a steady cam stream seat in the backs of theaters there are many 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 uh legal and other reasons why this is probably not going to be a thing for a while uh, but a lot of people putting their hand in the air and saying, hey, I would pay 20, yeah. 30, 40 bucks to live stream tonight's performance of whatever show from Broadway. Shifting slightly, same topic, like this teen edition of Six the Musical, but a different side of the conversation. Mm-hmm. How do you think Six the Musical will adapt to teen performers? So speaking from the lens of having done a bunch of junior shows... Typically, they um, tone down the language a little bit. And then if there's any, like, heavy, heavy, heavy stuff that they're like, "Mm, maybe we can reel that back a little bit. Like, that's, and that's pretty much it. The other thing that they do sometimes is trim the, kind of cut the show a little bit, make it a little tighter, uh, or uh, lower keys of songs um, to to make it fit a, a teenage vocal range a little bit better. So there's plenty of things they can do. None of those things apply to six. No. It's already a short show. It is. It's 75 minutes long. It's it's not long at all. Already, It is already singable. It is. It, it has some content in it, but nothing you're going to get rid of because it's, you know, it's kind of the whole point. I don't know. Like, I don't know how this gets less. Maybe it's pretty similar. When I saw the Mean Girls high school version, it was pretty similar 
a couple of those songs sounded a little lower and that was pretty much it so i think that it's it, it's a little bit of a marketing thing too to be like hey this is geared for these groups to perform but who knows the one thing i do want to see is how all of these high schools shove a chorus into six that is my biggest fear with this because the high school versions are almost always built to try and support that yep and i have a problem with forcing choruses into shows that were not written to have choruses i think you can almost make it work with charlie brown but not very well it does not work with into the woods which is the other one that i see with Mm -hmm. a forced Mm -hmm. chorus a lot and it's not going to work for six henry the eighth had six wives it's the point period and the when name. you have a girl band of six people, you don't need backup singers. You don't need backup dancers. They're, they are already each other's backup singers and dancers. The show is literally called Six. How many do we need? Six. Six. Maybe a swing or an understudy. Like maybe you could get to nine and three people cover two roles. Or you do 12. Oh, that's what you do. You do 12 and you double cast and you do everybody gets two shows. That's what you do. Yeah, you could do that. That would work. That would work. There are more and more shows, especially musicals recently, that are more female heavy because people are realizing as they're writing shows that if you're going to write a show that you want high schoolers to perform, uh, maybe more girl roles, maybe more female roles. Right. This one explicitly doesn't have any male roles. No, there's there's no part for guys in this one. Which is, for some schools, that's probably great, but there's none. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to see. Uh, as soon well, as there is a 16 production somewhere, I do kind of want to go see it, see what it looks like. I mean, absolutely. Uh, we do have to, to pause and take one second uh, to say rest in peace to Tom Jones. Uh, he was a librettist and lyricist. He... Uh, on Broadway, um, most notably for the Fantastics, oh. which ran for 42 years off Broadway. That show has a very special place in my heart. There are elements of it that have not aged well, but I do genuinely love that show. I think I've only seen it performed once, and it was by a community theater. Um, and it was it was good for what it was, but it was it was an interesting way to do a show. But I can. I, I can understand why a show like that is just running and running and running and running. Yeah. It's a it's a meta narrative, which you know I love. Exactly. Because it's very much in the vein of Into the Woods where the first act is playing out this so-called perfect dreamed of love story. And then the second act is exploring, okay, but what happens next when you've gotten your romantic fairy tale ending? what happens the next day when things aren't so rosy and romantic. I think we saw a film about that. What was it called? Rosalind? Yeah. Yeah. yeah something like that. So let me, I'll just read this bit about uh, Tom Jones. Um, uh, he wrote on other Broadway musicals as well, including 110 in the Shade and I Do, I Do. He passed away at the age of 95. Good long life. With Harvey Schmidt. Uh, they wrote the Fantastics for a summer theater at Bar- Barnard College after its off-Broadway opening in May 1960. Mm-hmm. It went on to become the longest-running production in the history of the American stage and one of the most frequently produced musicals in the world. Their first Broadway show, 110 in the Shade, was revived on Broadway in a new production starring... 
Audrey McDonald. Audrey McDonald. Good job. I do, I do. They're two-character musical starring... That one I don't know. Mary Martin and Robert Preston. Oh, okay. Classic names. A success on Broadway and is frequently produced around the country and the world. One production of I Do, I Do, playing in Minneapolis, played for 22 continuous years with the same two actors. That would be fascinating. Yes. To see how a, a show like that would change mm-hmm. as the same two actors age yes there is an actress who i think just celebrated 12 years in lion king on broadway maybe it was 15 yes. years i remember seeing that um and that that is astounding mm-hmm. so so rest in peace to tom jones fantastics is good um give it a listen i'm sure you can find it or watch a pretty good version on youtube it's got to be everywhere mm. it's been around forever yeah. There's a movie version with Joel Grey. Don't watch it. Mm. Well, they did not. It did not translate to film well. No, it really wouldn't. Um, but definitely listen to it. The lyrics of these songs are absolutely gorgeous. The songs are gorgeous. What else you got, Cassie? That's all I got. Nice short episode today, huh, Cassie? I guess it depends on how much you want to talk about my broad topic. Okay, lay it on me. So. We just finished with Horizon. We just finished our end of season cabaret celebration where we do our senior recognition for our graduating seniors. Mm -hmm. And we had eight this year. We had a a decent sized class. Okay. And um, I was listening to them at the senior farewell talk a little bit about like what's next for them and what they've taken away from the group. Mm Mm-hmm. And it occurred to me, as I'm sitting there listening to these these eight talented performers, some of whom have been with our company for almost 10 years. Sure. That's a, that's a long time. Very talented performers who have rarely missed any one of our shows, who love theater, but they're not pursuing it in college. Mm-hmm. They're gotcha. not pursuing it professionally they're not continuing with you know performance as such and that has been true for the last several classes that I've worked with when I think about all the students I've worked with in Horizon who have graduated I think maybe a small handful like maybe five Mm -hmm. of them have chosen to continue pursuing performance Sure. After graduating high school, I'm fine with this. This is like perfectly acceptable to me. But I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts and have a little bit of a discussion because I know that there are some like, not naysayers exactly, but some like turn your nose up at youth theater who will argue like, well, what's the point of of doing shows with young people if they're not even going to continue to pursue it once they graduate high school. That is a great question Mm -hmm. to which I would say, why do we play varsity sports? Yeah. Or why do we have marching band or, you know, any, any, anything that a, a high schooler does or even younger ages, it's like, you know, if this is not going to be the thing that they do for forever, why do it? Well, uh, maybe it makes them a more rounded person. Maybe they care about the arts. Maybe they can think differently. Maybe this is how they make friends. Maybe this is how they overcome 
fears or uh, insecurities or whatever. I always go back to my first year at uh, Gateway Middle School. I had no idea who any of these kids were. So I had to go into auditions blind, which was not great. I don't have to do it anymore. But I had one girl show up. I had no context for her at all, but she's uh, an eighth grader. She is clearly taller and bigger than everyone there. And I can only imagine like how much she must feel like she stands out physically to you know, just on a daily basis. Um, but she showed up and she did it. She couldn't sing, couldn't really dance, did the audition. Uh, and I was able to cast her. It was guys and dolls. And I was able to make her the head policeman. So she got to chase people around the stage and she had a half dozen lines and she had a good time. She loved it. And then the show ended and I never didn't think anything more of it. She was an eighth grader. She moved on to high school um, I don't know that I ever actually saw her again after that show ended. Fast forward to the next school year, though, and I'm getting ready to uh, hold auditions. And I run into one of the teachers at the school that I know. We're talking about, uh, you know, I'm coming back to the school and all of this. And he's like, yeah, all the kids are really excited. They're, they're talking about it and yada, yada, yada. And then he specifically brings up that the teacher's can see the difference in these kids and he brings up this one girl very specifically and just talks about the transformation that they saw in her in her grades in her attitude in her confidence and everything and she was like she was a brand new person just because she got to run around on a stage and pretend to be a policeman and maybe make some friends that's why we do this yeah because yeah we can talk about you know putting on a good show and uh, ed, you know, maybe educating audience on some thought or whatever, or, you know, maybe the kids learn good life lessons or good life skills, or maybe we really do have a handful that we go that at, at the end of the show or at the end of their time with us that we go, you know what, that kid right there, you, you could probably do this. If you work at this, you probably have enough innate talent and the right drive and the right headspace and motivation to do it. That's all of those are good things. The kids that walk out of the program or walk off the stage and can go about their lives and their lives are better because of it, that's why we do it. Absolutely. I'll get off my soapbox now. Oh, no. The, <laughs> listen, I share the soapbox with you. Like, I'm not bringing this up to argue because I would never argue this point. Um, that's right. one of my biggest beliefs is that arts, education in any and every form is incredibly important for young people to have access to. Yes, absolutely. Um, and it's not because they're going to try and make a career out of playing an instrument or painting pictures or being on Broadway, mm -hmm. but because learning how to create something, learning how to work collaboratively with a group of people to create something builds such incredibly important real life skills that are applicable in multiple situations mm -hmm. and also just creates more confident well-rounded young people sure does and i uh i was writing a writing a graduation card to to one of these students one of my trans students who graduated this year saying 
you know, when I was 21 and I first started working with this group and I was a junior in college, if you had asked me, like, what's the most important piece of what you're doing with these young people, I probably would have said something about like, oh, collaborating to make great art, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. And if you ask me now, my answer is the most important piece of what I do is creating a safe space for kids to explore their identities and play with new identities. And theater allows you to do that in a way that a lot of other activities do not allow you to do that. That has become the most important piece of this. And so, no, it's it's fine for me that we can have an entire graduating class who stand up and list, you know, what they're doing next and nobody mentions being on a stage again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's fine because they've been on a stage with my group. They've learned how to work with people. They've learned how to do all this important thing. They have come to a better understanding of who they are. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my students, when he was, you know, talking about what comes next for him, and he talked about he's he's literally going to China on a government scholarship. Wow. For a year. That's his That's, next step. Okay. He's going to learn Chinese and diplomacy. And the U.S. government is paying for him to do that. Yeah, he didn't learn any of that in uh, auditions class, did no, he? No, he did not. He did not. But he talked about how this group gave him confidence Helped Mm -hmm. him learn how to make connections with people. Helped him learn how to work collaboratively with people. And that's why we do it. And it's for the ones who do come out of their shell. And like, I have had the conversation with young people. With young people that we know. I had this conversation with Thomas Long. I'll go ahead and name drop. Hey, what's up, Thomas? We were talking uh, before he left for college and he hadn't figured out like what major he wanted to declare. Um, and he was going to like do broad strokes of, of classes and kind of figured out as he went along. And he mentioned at one point, he's like, I'm just kind of bummed, you know, that I won't really get to, to do much theater and perform much anymore. And I looked at him and I was like, why not? Right. Like you don't have to be a theater major to go audition for shows when you're in college. Yeah. You can audition for your college shows. You can audition for community shows. Like, if you love performing, keep performing. Yeah, do it. You don't have to make a career out of it. You can just do it for fun. Yeah, you can go join an improv group. Really, really screw things up. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that that's an important piece of, of working with the young people, too, is being like, you don't have to go to Broadway and be a Broadway performer. You can just, like, perform with a regional company if you like performing. Yeah. So I come at this a different way, too, because I did tech for so long and I taught a lot of Mm -hmm. students tech. Having a student who is a performer who wants to keep going, who wants to make this their thing, like there's two options and they are move to one of the cities or get into a very prestigious program and hope that springboards you into roles. And Mm -hmm. that's pretty much it. And both of those are expensive and giant risks for an 18-year-old to take on. Like, it's a whole thing. Yeah. But if you are a technician, uh, you can go to school and learn everything. You can join your local IATSE 
and do load-ins and load-outs and work your way up, you can you can find work if you're motivated to find work in most major cities. So it's a lot easier to find a path for uh, a theater technician or a designer or somebody like that. Um, and I have had a few, probably f- six or seven, um, go to different colleges for technical theater or um, go join the union um, and uh, try to figure it out and make it work. And that's really cool to see, but it's, again, not the point, right? Yeah. I tell I, I would always tell the kids after, uh, you know, when they got in the scene shop to start doing things, I'm like, look, I don't care if you guys never built a set again, but most of you don't know how to use power tools. So there's your skills. I had one student who went away to college. She was one of my painters, and she was very, very good. She was very, very artistically gifted. And every year for four years, I made her use the screw gun a couple of times. She didn't want to, but I made her do it so that Mm -hmm. I knew she knew what she was doing. She went away to college. She came back for something, and I ran into her in the auditorium, and she said, thank you. I could build my college furniture. (laughs) Fantastic. There you go. See? Useful skills. Yeah. Let me tell you, I... I was talking to um, Kelly Mangan about this after I graduated. Kelly Mangan works Shout for... out Kelly. Shout out to Kelly. She works for Bowling Green State University. Um, she's their scenic artist. And props master. And props master. And she kind of took over the like 3010 class after I graduated, which was all mm-hmm. about like, if you are a theater major, you have to take like six semesters of 3010 and it's getting experience with putting shows together yes and we were talking at when she was like figuring out how to revamp it and this was after i'd graduated and i said rather boastfully at the time i was like yeah i got through six semesters of 3010 with never having to set foot inside the scene shop i did not work a single hour in the scene shop i did not work a single hour in the costume shop that's, because I yeah. I worked crew for all six of my semesters. I crewed a show. Mm-hmm. And they were so hard up for like assistant stage managers that they they let me do that constantly. And she was like, Well, that's not gonna fly in the future when I'm in charge of this. Like, you're going to have to do a semester in one of the shops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at the time I was like, Well, I worked the system. And now I'm like, okay, but I if I and myself alone had to build a set, I could not do it. Right, exactly. Because I don't have that skill set. Mm-hmm. And it is something that I do notice the lack of, like very vividly in my in my career and my work now. The thing that I told all of the all of our actors throughout working at high schools or community theater or anything, the thing that I tell them that they need to do the most is learn how to be a technician. Even if you don't love it, you should at least have an understanding of how the theater as a whole works if you're going to work in it. You probably should. But also, if you move to New York and you can get, you know, you're doing your cattle calls and your cold auditions and you're doing all that and you're doing the grind and everything great, you're still going to need to make rent. And if you can Mm -hmm. make rent 
working at theaters or smaller places or things like that, you will feel much more connected to the art and the theater scene. And you're going to meet people and you're going to all of these things and you're going to be a more valuable theater practitioner. People are going to want you more because you're willing to do everything. And then, oh, by the way, you can also sing really well. Yep. And that's it. That's our advice, kids. Yeah. Go go, uh, go learn how to sew. We drifted off the original topic slightly, but that's okay. I don't care. Go learn how to sew. And go if learn you how to really, sew. really, really want to do this, you can. And we'll tell you to do it. But we're going to have a couple hard conversations with you first. Yeah. And again, if you are a teen or a young person and you love performing, but you don't want to make it a career, you don't have to do that either. Absolutely not. I'm still thrilled to have you in my shows on my stage. Mm-hmm. And if you never do it again after you leave, like the number of things, like you said earlier, the number of things I think about that I did in high school that I have never done since leaving high school. Yep. It's a lot, right? That I never touched again. There's there's so many. Mm-hmm. I think my band director is still mad at me because he wanted me to go pursue music professionally. Uh-huh. How that he wanted me out. to play. He wanted me to play the French horn professionally, and he kept bugging me and bugging me and bugging me about it my senior year. And I finally had to get very real with him and look at him, because he was also my my private um, instructor because he was also a French horn player. And so I took lessons with him, and I finally had to look at him and go, Mister Taylor, I don't practice. You know I don't practice. We don't talk about it because I can skate by on not practicing. But you know I don't practice. What makes you think I'm going to go to college where I would have to practice for five hours every day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doing art professionally is weird. It is. Doing, yeah. It just is. It just is. It is. And, and, and yeah, we do what we do with kids because there are so many things that are more applicable to their growth and development that they learn from theater than just how to pretend to be another person and put on a show. Absolutely. You know who did learn how to be another person and put on a show? Who? Paris. Paris. That old son of a gun. We haven't talked about Paris in a rip. We have not, but uh, Paris, if you're listening, uh, we are taking a brief hiatus here, and we would like you to uh, keep the mics warm for us, please. Yep. Or cold. Bang around, bang around they're, the studio. They're a ghost. Do they keep the mics cold? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. Paris. We'll see, I guess. Keep the equipment running. Keep the ghost light burning. There it is. There it is. There we go. Somebody's got to keep the ghost light. We'll uh, keep the ghost light on for you. Thanks for coming along with us on today's episode of By the Ghost Light. You can find us on the Ghost Light Media Network at ghostlightmedia.net. And thank you to everyone over on our Patreon. Uh, shout out to the Discord server. I posted an article today about Sondheim spatial audio, and that sounds cool. I don't really have a way to listen to it, but it sounds cool. It sure does. We talk about some cool things on the Discord, and you should talk about them with us. You should. Come be a patron, and uh, we will be active there through this little hiatus for sure. Um, we're not exactly sure when we'll be back. Probably a month or two. Kind of depends on how uh, Cassie's life is going depends on a baby yeah it'll all work out so that's all for us today thanks for coming with us my name is ryan my name's cassie and join us next time by the ghost light
This has been a Ghostlight Media production.